Hey, how's it going, folks? It's Abdullah and Bean. And welcome back for another episode of Great Moments in Weed History. We have got a very special interview episode for you today with a really interesting cat who started a platform for people who had been booted off of other social media platforms for showing weed, smoking weed, loving weed. And we thank him for this act of digital protest. Isn't that right, Pete? Yeah. I mean, we are talking about big tech trying to cancel cannabis. You really cannot deny that these big corporations looking at the Instagrams of the world, the YouTubes of the world, the TikToks of the world and beyond are kicking people off their platforms, keeping you from saying what you want to say about a plant that is an incredible medicine. We're talking about an important social justice issue. We're talking about a culture that millions of people in the United States and tens, hundreds of millions of people around the world identify with, and yet we're being silenced every single day. And, you know, I don't hear a lot of people talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like it or not, Social media platforms have incredible reach and influence on people all over the world. It is truly the way in which we all remain connected today. And while many companies reserve the right to control the type of content that they want to display or allow, in this situation, what we're seeing is an erasure of an entire segment of the world's population because these platforms do allow the sales and advertising of alcohol, of diet pills, of supplements, of all kinds of questionable products, and yet a product that is legal in many places at some level in the United States, a product that has never killed a single person, and as you said, a product that happens to be a medicine for very, very ill people of all ages and all sorts suffering from all types of ailments is completely banned We experience this ourselves, of course, as a cannabis podcast, as cannabis people, because when you smoke or when you show cannabis or apparently even when you talk about its ancient history, you will be barred from spreading the word. You will be throttled. You are not allowed to advertise on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube. So, of course, this leaves a lot of people out in the cold, right? And by the way, while we're on that topic, right? Being independent and throttled and, uh, you know, being cast aside by the major media platforms of the world, we rely on you, our listener, to keep us going, to keep gas in our tank. And that's why we want to thank everybody who supports us on Patreon. We really, really appreciate you supporting our work, our independent journalism, and our exploration of our favorite plan. And if you do not support us, it's all good. We love you anyway. But please consider it. Check us out at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com and you can go and see all the dope bonuses you can get by just throwing a couple bucks our way each month. You'll get a bunch of content. We'll get to make our show the way we like it and the way you like it. So please consider it. Also, you kind of slipped in this episode's unique weed pun and I don't know if you even know it. I I don't think I caught it. What did I say? Oh, we got to keep gas in our tanks. Yes, it's true. And gas, of course, being the preferred terpene profile of great moments in weed history. Yeah. And, you know, we're both First Amendment people. We've both been involved in all kinds of media 
and free speech issues that people want to suppress. But I gotta say, you know, it definitely sticks in my craw that if it was up to big tech, if it was up to these platforms, you would only know 420 as Hitler's birthday. Because <laughs> <laughs> apparently talking about Nazi stuff uh, is perfectly fine and, and gets not just uh, put out into the world, but often pushed by these algorithms. And yet we want to talk about 420 as the high holiday of weed. We want to put out our episode coming up soon about the actual history of the Waldos who created it. We want to do our weedathon also coming up that's going to <laughs> help us get to 420 Patreon subscribers by 420. And we've got to get through all of these barriers. And as you said, our only way to do that is with our people, our Great Moments in Weed History family. Go to greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. You could put five on it. You could put a little more on it and get a signed copy of my book, How to Smoke Pot Properly. And you can do us the huge favor. Next time you're out there getting blazed with your friends, tell them about this show. Yes, absolutely. And so our guest for today is Aaron Richard, the co-founder and creative director of WeedTube. That's right. It is exactly what it sounds like. This is the first of its kind and largest social media platform for cannabis. So following the YouTube cannabis marketing purge in March of 2018, when a lot of people probably remember getting booted from the platform, Aaron's YouTube account was deleted with 190,000 subscribers. So... Instead of just taking that hit, he teamed up with a like-minded community of influential content creators to launch WeedTube as a safe house for cannabis enthusiasts. Man, what a great thing. And we had a fantastic conversation with him about all the issues of cannabis erasure on social media and on digital platforms. All righty. This is a really fun one. I'm excited for it. I've got the second half of a fat OG joint here with a wood tip, which I just got a bunch of recently and I'm really, really loving. About to smoke. Bean, how about yourself? That's a wood tip from our sponsors. Just the tip. <laughs> Don't smoke a whole joint made of wood. Just, just the, the tip. tip. I like it. I like it. Oh, my God. The, the, uh, the, the universe... The Great Moments in Weed History cinematic universe of, of imaginary sponsors just gets bigger <laughs> and bigger. Shout out Vlad's Blintzes, the uh, Action Comics 1 <laughs> of this endeavor. Yeah, you know, we've tried some of the other big sponsors that you hear about on podcasts, like uh, Online Therapy, and they said, well, we did our research, and it turns out people who smoke weed don't need therapy as much. Uh, so that wasn't a good fit. We tried Squarespace and they said, no, you guys are much too hip for Squarespace. Yeah, it's true. That's those, that was their words. Exactly. They were like, we advertise on every podcast, but yours is too hip. Yours is too hip. We're too hip to be square. And, uh. <laughs> You know, so we do want to shout out some of our recent sponsors. I've got some high 90s weed right here. Very good friend of the show. I'm about to spark it up. If you're not ready to get blazed right this very instant, that's okay. All you have to do is hit pause. Take that time. Roll a joint. Split a blunt. Pack a bong. 
stuffable, not so much. I mean, if you're gonna put, you're putting too much in the bowl, man, it's gonna get clogged. You're in there, just, just you know, grind it up a little bit more. First of all, get a little more air in there, and you gotta do it in one go. Yeah, you gotta go and like just grab it all, and just go one go. You know, don't go a little pile it up; it'll get clogged. Yeah, don't clog your bowl, unclog your mind, and as soon. As you are ready to roll, we will be ready to roll for another great moment in weed history. We are here with Aaron, the co-founder and chief person in charge at WeedTube. When was the first time that young Aaron crossed paths with our favorite plant? Oh, wow. Classic high school story. My cousin and her girlfriend were like six or seven years older than me. They had their own apartment. She was like my only gay family member and I was gay. So I was like, we're going to hang out a lot. The two of them like to smoke weed like all the time. And for a very long time, I was too afraid to do it. Like came from the whole Christian family household that like weed is synonymous with meth. So it took me a long time to get there. But I remember being like 16 and smoking my first bowl with them, not knowing at all how to use it. And then proceeding to laugh at a commercial about llama farms for like 30 minutes after watching it just one time. Hold on to your hats and buckle your seatbelts because this Sunday, 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 we proudly present a llama petting zoo. That's right, you heard me. Llamas, llamas, llamas. 14 high-octane llamas with one thing on their minds. Destruction. Did you buy a llama? No, but listen, llama farming is lucrative, according to this commercial back in 2006. So... We're about to laugh at that for the next 30 minutes. I'm quite tickled. What are you smoking out of? What strain are you smoking? What's the set and setting? Oh, gosh. If there were details as to what it was or anything like that, they slipped past me because it just, to me was a bowl of drugs that I was lighting on fire and inhaling into my body. Did you do corners? I bet you didn't do corners that first time. No, I do actually remember roasting the whole bowl and uh. getting yelled at for them and being like, we gave you greens. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to say a quick shout out to all the cool cousins out there. I, I feel like I have been uh, cool cousined. From above, as a younger person, and and lived long enough to cool cousin down a little bit. I want to say uh, oh, shout yeah. out to Danny. And uh, you got any cool cousins? Who me or Aaron? Uh, well, we know Aaron has some cool. Cousins. I do. Her name is Andrea. Shouts out, Andrea. You're dope. <laughs> yeah, and so you know, it was my older brother who smoked me out. Although I think I found it on my own. And then of course there were some younger cousins. One of whom I did a disservice to by getting him stoned and then leaving him with our moms at Thanksgiving. It was not cool to do. He doesn't smoke weed to this day. That's terrible. You set him up wrong, friend. I did. You gotta you gotta learn somehow. He could you be do. a successful llama farmer right now if Yeah, if I had correctly green pilled him. Yeah, yeah. He's uh he's a lobbyist for alcohol, tobacco, and fire. <laughs> you really <laughs> fucked him up. No, no, no. He's not <laughs> 
This is literally all your fault, Abdullah. It's a triple threat. So, so aside for an appreciation for for the life of llama farming and uh, a cautionary tale of not roasting the whole bowl, what did you take away from this experience? Weed is good. And in uh, high school, it was pretty infrequent. I would say less than a handful of times. It was a little later in life when we got really joined together. When was that and what, what was the catalyst to that change? Yeah, so that was right after Colorado legalized uh, recreational cannabis in 2012. I was born with a blood cell disease called mastocytosis. It's it's a whole thing. When cannabis became legalized, my specialist for my blood cell disease said, you know, you have an opportunity to, tr- to try to use cannabis that not a lot of my other patients have. We should give this a try. So he got me uh, a prescription from another doctor in Colorado. I took to it a lot more happily than I think the specialist was intending and just really became a stoner, you know, did the whole thing, bought every rig, bought the gas masks, did everything, tried everything. (laughs) Bought the gas mask. Yes, a novelty item to some, but also the item that began my career as Vice's weed guy, by the way. Someone mailed one to Vice and they were like, who's going to hit this thing right now in the office? And I was like, me. Are you a, really a stoner if you've never used a gas mask? I don't think you can say that. Not. Yeah. <laughs> there, there was a line in our episode about High Times founder Tom Fursad. There's two kinds of weed dealers, those who need forklifts and those who don't. Mm. I would venture there's two kinds of stoners, those who rock a gas mask yes. and those who don't. And well, I, nobody's rocking the gas mask. It's like a once, you do it once and you get the gist. You know what I mean? Like. I never used it again. Yeah. <laughs> in, in Russia. Anyway, not going there. Uh, let's talk about the medicinal side of this. Was it helpful for your condition and, and in what way? Oh, yeah, 100%. I was taking eight pills before starting my journey with cannabis a day, and now I just take one over-the-counter antihistamine. It's mostly gastrointestinal issues for me, so like eating, digesting, and then whatever comes after that. Um, <laughs> not always fun to deal with. It definitely like changed my life. It made me want to eat again. It made me have a better relationship with food. It made everything better. I, I enjoyed it so much. The first time I smoked weed on the medicinal weed, um, my partner and I were watching this fabulous movie, which I think every stoner should give a shot while they're high because it's it's so good. It's this movie's fault that I became a stoner. We just smoked one bowl and watched Connie and Carla. <laughs> Connie and Carla were two small-town girls whose dream of stardom had taken them nowhere. Could I get my drink? Oh, sorry. But they're about to find out how real professionals make a hit. And laughed from beginning to end. And then we continue to do that for like the next week. No spoilers. It's just about these two girls who are like uh, Broadway performers, but not Broadway performers. They they wish they were. And they perform in this small town airport. Then they witness a murder and they have to. These are some spoilers, my friend. (laughs) No, no, no. Well, I guess. Even if you give me the name of a movie, I'm a little bit pissed. It's spoiled. (laughs) I'm very very anti-spoiler. I got to go in fresh. So has anybody seen Firestorm? That's a hell of a picture. Yeah. I'm hoping they had the helicopter land on top of that car. Hey, 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 come on, come on. I haven't seen it yet. It doesn't have anything to do with the plot. Still, still, I like to go in fresh. 
So when did you realize that you wanted to do even more with cannabis that, you know, that it was something that would inspire your creativity? This is where it becomes like a bit of a happy accident for me. I had a YouTube channel in 2015 that I started that I was making all sorts of content for just inspired by the YouTubers of that time because I was like working a full-time job as a restaurant manager and I just I just needed something to do for my creativity. What was the, the content like that you were making with this? Oh, embarrassing. Skits, me me playing characters, me talking about RuPaul's Drag Race and other gay things. Just, you know, um, being adorable and gay on the internet is what I would say. Yeah. That's like 60% of YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> that's the good 60%. Yeah, that's the better 60%. For sure. For 60% of YouTube, yeah. At, at that time, you, you were saying this is a creative outlet. Did you have hopes to gain a following of course everybody does but i mean were you did you have a real idea that this is going to be my life i'm going to create content get a following and turn this into a business or was it more uh for fun and see what happens i would say lean towards for fun and see what happens because business was never really part of it for me until that clicked in and i started making money before that it was just i saw these people who i really respected on youtube that 60 percent, let's say and i was like i can do this and then i did it while having this channel Weed is legal in Colorado, and it's a big part of my life. I've been using it daily for three years at this point. I'm remembering back to that first time that I ever smoked weed with my cousin and how I didn't know how to hit a pipe. And I was like, I'm going to make a video teaching people on YouTube how to smoke weed from a pipe. Not even thinking about the implication of the fact that I'm putting something that's still majority illegal everywhere else. I upload this video, and it ends up going viral, and it gets like half a million views in a couple of months. And like, if you Googled how to smoke weed, I was the first result on Google for like two years, which was dope. That's really sick because you're talking to two guys who have really, really tried to elbow their way into this search result. Bean wrote a book called How to Smoke Pot Properly. I made endless amounts of, uh, you know, low budget videos, advice, trying to, you know, show people, frankly, useless ways to smoke weed. <laughs> Fruit and vegetable pipes are really convenient when you don't have papers or a pipe laying around. But what if you don't have any fresh fruits or vegetables? Well, you can make a really simple, quick pipe out of a pickle. Here's how it's done. I've got a jar of full sour supermarket pickles and I'm just gonna stick my fingers in there because they're my fucking pickles. Just to give a vibe, like Denver at this time was like, this was before LA sort of caught up, you know, in a regulatory sense. And Denver really was the hot spot. All the weed people, all the weed parties, it was in Denver. And this was also sort of YouTube's cultural moment. Mm -hmm. You know, so these things are all aligning around you. First video you put up gets half a million views. First video about weed. I had tried a lot on other stuff. The the cute gay stuff before that that wasn't working. You discovered the thing that we discovered. <laughs> and so then, what 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 does that say to you? What does that inspire you to do next? Keep making videos about weed and keep teaching people about weed. Yeah, ran that channel. It was the gay stoner. Ran that channel as hard as I could after that point, uh, up until February 2018, when I had 190,000 subscribers and YouTube deleted my channel. Motherfuckers. Okay, so you're describing something that we've come up against and that 
everybody in cannabis world has come up against. So let me paint this picture for the uninitiated. Basically, every major social media platform, right, and I'll include YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, are extremely anti-cannabis. Explicitly, they will allow Russian hackers to put fake news stories, uh, you know, purported as real news all over Facebook and turn your grandma into a capital rioter, right? But if you post a funny video about how to smoke a bowl properly, they will delete your account, which has 190,000 subscribers and also generates a lot of views. So literally they're blowing their own toes off just because they hate weed so much. Instagram, right, is an extremely hostile place towards cannabis growers, cannabis brands. So very often if you're on weed Instagram, you will see somebody with a line in their profile that says deleted at 60K, deleted at 100K because it is literally like a game of whack-a-mole and they also will throttle and shadow ban you so that you can't be easily tagged or searched, right? Our Great Moments of Weed History account is throttled. We can't advertise on YouTube. We can't buy Facebook ads. The ways that a lot of traditional podcasts advertise and promote their shit, we cannot use. And that's the world we live in. And now, Aaron, at this point, you've come up against the brunt of this discriminatory practice. Yes, I did. And so much more on everything you just said, Abdullah, later. Thank you for literally yeah, reciting please. my entire world right now. How did you find this out as well? That I that I was deleted or that Instagram is the devil? Uh, how did you find out that you, you were deleted? And subsequently the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> I knew at least well uh, a lot of the other popular creators in the cannabis world or the weed tube world. And we were all kind of connected with each other. Once they started getting deleted, I knew it was coming for me. I found out, honestly, I think just a bunch of followers being like, your channel's gone. And then I logged in and it was gone. What did that feel like in that moment? At the moment that it happened to me, I was in a different mind space because uh, a couple weeks before when uh, my friend Tim Stoned Alone was deleted, he was the first one of us to all get deleted. A bunch of us banded together. Basically, we were like, they're going to come for us. They're going to delete us all. They've made it pretty obvious. We need a place to go for our followers to watch our content that we've worked really hard on. So we're going to start our own platform and we're going to call it WeedTube. We raised $15,000 in three days from our followers to buy the first servers for the website and propped up this WordPress sort of website uh, where people could come and subscribe and log in and everything, but was like using Vimeo video player. And it just, it wasn't our own, but we propped up a website at least. By the time I was deleted, the website had launched. So I was kind of like, yeah, delete me. Fuck you. As opposed to if yeah. we hadn't, if we hadn't been doing that, I probably would have been like super devastated and, and was devastated down the line. But in that moment, I was like, fuck yeah, fuck you, YouTube, oh, delete so, me. So you preempted the deletion. That, that, that's pretty wild. We do was already in the works. You had anticipated that this fuck shit was going to happen. Yeah. So they started doing, uh, like, let's say like week one, they're, they're, uh, throwing out strikes on channels left and right uh week one we're like this looks bad this we might want to do something about that week two my friend tim gets deleted we go public we need the money we're going to start weed tube week three uh we're building weed tube it's it's getting done week four i get deleted and weed tube launches and, and who were some wow. of the other uh youtubers who were involved in that just to give them their their yeah. due. shout outs shout outs <laughs> yeah so uh, Magdizzle420 uh, was one of our original co-founders with me as well. She's uh, part of the 
YouTube duo known as Two Girls, One Bong. They've gone viral a ton of times and uh, make incredible content. They currently have their own podcast on WeedTube. It's great. Everybody listen. I can name like everybody who was deleted. Uh, Tim Stone Alone obviously was also one of the original partners. My Stoner Life uh, was one of the original partners. He had been deleted as well. And then we were lucky enough to have creators come on right away when they were deleted, like Silenced Hippie Sasha, Loaded Up Entertainment came over after their channel was deleted. Just tons of amazing creators that were just ripped off of YouTube. Was YouTube something that you were previously able to monetize? When I first started my channel for the, let's say in 2015, when I uploaded that video that went viral, I had a full-time job for like six months after that. And then things started going really well. And I started making more money from doing brand deals and stuff like that to where I was able to uh, leave that job. And then I drove for Lyft for a while to make extra money. And then like, let's say three to five more months after that, I was making enough to support myself. In the last year of my channel, when it was uh, over 100,000 subscribers, I was making more money than I had ever made in my life and ever dreamed of making. Wow, that's crazy. So you, you you had achieved the dream of so many uh, in your generation, which is like literally doing fun shit, right? Shit that you love to do, creating something, making something, and without any conduit, no agents, no channel, no network, none of that shit. You are making a living. You're making the stuff you want to make. I mean, that's that's a lot you had achieved. It must have been a real kick in the balls to have that taken away. Yeah, I mean, I didn't make a million dollars or anything like that. I, when I'm saying I made more than my ever life, I had my whole life. I grew up super poor, so that's you know, like yeah. But the, making a living is making a living. You know, it's like you don't have to be a millionaire to like yeah. I, I had enough money to pay all my bills, and I had money left in my bank account, which was just wild to me. That's magic. You know, it's like the, the life of an independent creative person. It just like you just dive above and fall below that line. <laughs> Sometimes <Yep>. you're right <laughs> on it. But it's like it's like where the sand meets the water. It like doesn't exist. If I didn't have weed tube the way I had weed tube when this was all going down, it would have been devastating. But I was so at the moment that my channel was deleted, I was like okay, I'm going to lose money there, but I already know that I have X amount of brands that are backing us to be our first advertisers and pay money to to work with us. So I wasn't going to like let the fear take over. And so here we have a situation where you are using your free expression to reach people. You're talking about a subject that's very important to you. And then a corporation deplatforms you. I bet a million right-wing people came rushing to your defense, right? Because this is about free speech, right? They must have been yeah, all over it. First Amendment shit, yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> that did come, not happen. They didn't come raise the flag for the gay stoner? No. I am cannabis, can, the cannabis community was pretty lit around it, obviously. The Muslim stoner and the Jewish stoner are really upset about this. <laughs> Okay, so, so at this point, you may have lost this YouTube channel, but you have launched WeedTube, and now there's a place for deleted stoners to go. So tell us what the ramp up was like for this new venture. Oh, just so fast, because we had to get it done in a month. Where it really got crazy was we we launched in March of 2018, and then in November of 2018, we started making plans to build our own platform so that we weren't just hosting videos from Vimeo, but that we actually owned the videos so no one would have to be worried about being deleted again. That's kind of where the real ramp up started um, with engaging development firms and building our whole own platform and everything like that. That 
was wild. It was, uh, I learned more in those two years after starting WeedTube than I've ever learned in my entire life. Cause I didn't know anything that I ne- needed to know to run a company like that. And I had to learn every, le- every lesson the hard way. When you start a business with all of your friends and everybody works together, it's different. You know what I mean? Whenever we'd hire employees and stuff, it would just be like, we were all best friends at work, which is, I think I had to learn the lesson of, it can be that 60% of the time. You know what I mean? Did you have an office? Was this a physical space or was it always a remote situation? In the beginning, I lived out of, uh, I, I rented a large home where everybody had an office in it and I lived out of it as well. So there was about a year and a half when we were all working together in the same place and then we went full virtual. Oh, wow. Okay, so, so this sounds like a heady time. You guys are starting a weed video sharing platform and you've got a house, a startup situation. So describe the vibe. What's going on in the house? What are the parties like? What's the work they like? The vibe in the office at the time is um, actually uh, for anyone listening that wants to know specifically more what it was like. My whole channel on WeedTube basically captures that year and a half. And they are some of my favorite funniest videos. The vibe was like chaotic, but intentional. Like we felt like we were doing something and we were really proud of what we were doing. But we were always rambunctious. You know, I was very rambunctious human being. I'm like, I'm like Michael Scott from The Office. But good at my job like I'm bouncing off the walls keeping everybody like focused and having fun and smiling and stuff and just lots of smoking weed just so much weed smoking just dabbing all the time so you get a a nice chunk of seed money for this venture that's right you son of a bitch (laughs) it's new I checked I checked I I cross-referenced and that's a new one that's a new one. Uh, and that obviously, you know, will we'll get you so far and you've got your friends together and you got what sounds like a weed hype house going and there's like a lot of enthusiasm. And also you have that great feeling of giving the middle finger to the man who is fucking you over and fighting for not just this plant, but for free speech. So all of that, of course, will only get you so far. It, it, you are trying to start a business. It's a very difficult thing. When did you reach like a break-even point? When did you reach a point where you realized, hey, this is starting to work on its own terms? Break-even financially? I'll let you know. <laughs> um, I'll definitely same, let you know. Same with our podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'll definitely let you know. WeTube makes money, but it's uh, very expensive to run a video player website. Some would argue that the value is not in the advertising dollars, but the value is in the fact that we have like the largest audience of cannabis-specific content viewers in the world. We have had like 6 million unique users on the website, so that's amazing. That's pretty fantastic. Are you on YouTube's radar? Well, that's that's an interesting one. Um, Everyone that got their channels deleted after all this time has finally, some of them as recently as the end of last year have all gotten their channels back except for me. Oh, <laughs> they're, they're Lorne Michaels. I love it. I love it. Please ostracize me because it's, it, you know, just do it. It's going to make you look so bad in the long run. I live. And so paint, paint the picture for us when inevitably they want to buy you. I don't think it'll be YouTube. If someone wanted to buy WeedTube, it would be someone who owned a lot of brands that sell cannabis-adjacent products and wanted to learn more about a community of people and what their interests are. 
who are these constituents? Who are the 6 million people? What do you know about them? And like, you know, are these like people's moms who are like curious about cannabis? Is it just like your consummate stoner? What kind of people are they? And what are they showing up for? They love Mexican food as a majority. They love tacos. They often search for tacos on the internet. This is, you're talking about the 100% of people. Like, I don't know. It's like, what sick fuck does that No, like he's giving us this deep algorithm shit. I'm this giving is, you algorithm shit. This is a data play. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, okay, if we have a, dis- if there's five dispensaries within 1.5 miles and you open a taco <laughs> spot where taco density is less than all that fancy ah. math shit, then this is how you prosper. I get it, man. I'm fucking in. All right. At least somebody gets it. <laughs> when we print off a data report of who's what people on WeedTube, like the different characteristics about them, and there's a lot, it's just point number one is that the overwhelming majority of all of them love Mexican food. That's the most through line of them all. We have a good uh, mixture of different age groups of people. I think uh, it's a-, a little bit heavy on millennial, but we do have a majority following of female users, which is different than um, a lot of other cannabis platforms and things like that out there and viewerships. So I love that. And I do think that this is improving, but in cannabis culture, there's definitely gender disparity and just sort of whack outdatedness you know what i mean Uh, yeah i actually want to say thank you to you two for doing the episode on brownie mary um which i listened to recently because it was really comforting to me as a gay man who's been in this industry since 2015 that has experienced a lot of overly uh i don't fit in-ness with you know just homophobia and people's ideas of masculinity and stuff like that to listen to an episode of a podcast by two people I really respect in this industry highlighting um, people uh, queer people and people who have helped the queer community in that movement that just made me feel great so thanks for that that's very sweet of you to say Aaron yeah that's a really powerful episode being you told a fantastic story that day and you know of course cannabis and gay rights LGBTQ plus rights have long been intertwined. It's a really fascinating history going back to uh, Brownie Mary, Dennis Perone, uh, you know, Prop 215 in California, the whole like, you know, Bay Area scene up there. Absolutely. And if I could just tack on to this a little bit, this is um, when you were talking about Instagram earlier and the issues on Instagram, this is actually a much bigger issue than people realize because Instagram is deleting and censoring a lot of cannabis content creators and businesses, but they're also letting a lot of them thrive. And there's no consistency across the whole thing. And we actually have a petition out right now through WeedTube, uh, which is the legal cannabis industry is demanding that they do better regulation and policies for cannabis content, which we're trying to get to a million signatures so everybody should sign it. But the importance of this is when you're talking about the uh, gay community's connection to cannabis legalization. And we're also talking about the black community's unfair, literal uh, imprisonment of people for nonviolent cannabis charges. As we come into federal legalization, big money is going to come in and try to take their way with it. We are at this very unique 
position in the cannabis industry right now that smaller minority owned and diverse owned businesses could build this whole industry out so that it doesn't get taken over by that. And Instagram censoring and silencing all these small businesses and letting these other giant brands run while the rest of us are actually following the rules and still being censored. You're just gearing up for a place where Instagram is there to only support these monopolies and they're going to suppress the right industry being built the way that it should be. It was the internet that took down the impenetrable wall of propaganda around weed. And that changed the entire orientation towards trying to end this war on cannabis. There was a whole period where just trying to get the information out to people was the entire battle. And so to see the internet now, anything goes if you're a Nazi, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, I know, can't, right? can't. That's the dumbest fucking, yeah. The distinction of what's dangerous and what's not is so ludicrous. And that's, that's the thing is that we're in a position now where the people who are in charge of the technology are going to allow cannabis content and conversations around it, but they're going to decide who gets to. And who do you think they're going to pick but the people with the most money? The way that the legal market is set up is so that people with the monetary backing can totally get licenses, stack licenses, right? Uh, and people who can't, their licenses just expire and they're fucked. I mean, obviously, like, where do you think the, you know, racial uh, breakup of this falls? I mean, obviously, it's like there's a lot of minorities getting, you know, previous cannabis entrepreneurs who ran Prop 215 dispensaries forever, you know, uh, basically getting fucked. And then in this new world, like, because they've been selling cannabis, maybe they continue to sell cannabis, but now they're criminals for doing so. But if you had enough money to stack up those licenses, you're not a criminal. You're a business person. And in fact, the police will raid criminals with cannabis to protect the legal, uh, you know, entrepreneurs with, uh, who have cannabis, right? So it's like, wait a minute. This is just fucking colonialism all over again, right? There was a minority driven cannabis culture here in Southern California, right? And now those people are shit out of luck. And a bunch of rich white dudes get to make money off it. It's, it's so fucking ridiculous. And it's, you know, as Bean and I often talk about on this show, it's that fear we've always had of capitalism absorbing cannabis instead of cannabis positively influ- influencing capitalism. Which is why this whole Instagram thing is such a big deal. Because in all sincerity, if there is not a fair and equal opportunity to market to a consumer base, you're already deciding who's going to be the most successful. Say one of those minority-owned businesses you're talking about does get a license. Well, then they want to go market. What's 80% of the market share for marketing? Social media. They can't get their ads on there, but the big brand box dispensary down the street for some reason is allowed to even post on their account. Very interesting. You're 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 green pilling us. Yeah, yeah good. Yeah, I was gonna say, do you want to just be the third guy on this show? <laughs> Absolutely. Really, we're vibing. Uh, there's there's a definite. Uh, you're you're truly one of us, and by one of us, I mean one of the two of us here. <laughs> you fit right in. What's some of your favorite content that people can find on WeTube? I host this wonderful program called Stoner Thoughts where I get super, super baked and talk about aliens and conspiracy theories. 
And honestly, it is some of the bombest shit that not enough people listen to. It was actually very popular back in the day on YouTube when I had my channel. And when they all got deleted, I made some newer versions on WeedTube. So I highly recommend people check that out to get a better understanding of what else you should check out. The homepage is updated daily and catered to bring new people on and get them excited about the content. So you will always find some good stuff to watch on the homepage and just go from there and just lose yourself for a couple hour sesh and just subscribe to people, comment on their stuff, let them know that the what they're creating is awesome and valid and hype them up and stuff like that. There's this there's this video where Laganja Estranja, uh world famous hey, drag queen. Yep. Love her. Um where she and Joya, the Joya ride from Two Girls One Bong, um touch animals stoned in a box. What's in the box challenge? <laughs> and that video is like the first video I show anyone of WeedTube while we're stoned because it's guaranteed to make them laugh. It's too good. And I just want to kind of, from our perspective, really how much we appreciate what you've done for the community. And we recognize that same struggle. Abdullah and I have worked for these big brands, for Vice, for High Times, you know, creating content when there was not a lot of content otherwise and yeah and trying to do it authentically you know because a lot of people don't realize it's very you know so much of the cannabis content that comes out is made by people who are not truly passionate about cannabis they just see that it's trending and want to cash in on it and it has to come from a place of authenticity we are all served the plant man i you know that's not too woo woo for me yeah you know what i mean yeah and this you know is very clearly where we landed uh some place that we can say exactly what we want to say, tell the stories, as you mentioned, like Brownie Mary, you know, go into big corporate cannabis content, blah, 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 and start talking about, they don't want to hear that shit. Mm -mm. You know what I mean? But people who care about this plant do. And I just think it's telling that, like, we're right. <laughs> it's an incredibly medicinal plant. It, it, nobody should yeah. be going to jail. It's not like we're saying some crazy outlandish let's you know say the most controversial thing you can come up with to shock people into paying attention to you we're just saying like this is a beautiful plant and mm. and we're the ones pushed out of the conversation if you are a person out there listening to this and you're like ah fuck i can't make cannabis content it keeps getting taken down it keeps getting throttled and choked and slapped around you can go to weed too go check out we do make a piece of content on that platform and see how you like it. You will not get shut down. I'm looking for the next weed superstar right now. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us, Aaron. We're really stoked on what you're doing, building community around cannabis that is free and open. We are all about it. Go check out WeedTube. Thanks so much for hanging out for this episode of Great Moments of Weed History. I was just going to say thank you, Abdullah and Vin. You guys are amazing. Keep up the great work uh, that you guys are also doing for the community. Thank you. Appreciate you, man. We'll see you next time. Well, that's the show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you stuck around this long, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can put five on it at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. And that would really help us as we research, write, 
edit, and publish a new episode every Weedness Day. Great Moments in Weed History is written, produced, and performed by me, David Beanenstock, a.k.a. Bean. Special thanks to our sponsor, PAX. Go to PAX.com and use promo code GREATMOMENTS, all one word, for a big discount at checkout.